Today's Bible reading comes from Matthew 1, and it's verses 1 to 17. And it's the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. This is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amadab, Amadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoashap, Jehoashap, the father of Jerome, Jerome, the father of Ozrah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Azhar, Azhar, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of this, the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abahad, Abahad, the father of Elikim, Elikim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Elazar, Elazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And you should all give Katie a round of applause for reading that genealogy. That's an obviously, that's a passage that uh, we don't normally get so excited about, right? Genealogies, list of names, who was the son of who, and so on. But I'm going to uh, remind you this morning that a genealogy is significant uh, in the story of Jesus, and it, genealogy is significant in your own lives as well. You know, it starts with, in Matthew's Gospel with the genealogy, the story, the history. And I was thinking about a modern Greek uh, genealogy. It goes like this. Nick was the father of Chris. Chris, the father of Nick. Nick, the father of Chris. Chris, the father of Nick. That's my family, by the way. Uh, and uh, you don't have too many complicated names. But we, genealogies are important because even today, you know, the holiday of family trees. Where do I come from? Who comes before? Who comes afterwards? And uh, in African tribes, for example, uh, one of the first things children learn is to, to remember, recite the names of their forebears. In Oriental society, as early generations are remembered with such reverence and ceremony, and some of you will know this, that it's almost like ancestor worship. Because we, we remember those who've gone before us, where do I fit into the line? Who is my father, my grandfather? And I've been hopeless at that in my family. I'm only discovering some of that with my father now. I said, well, who was that again? Was that uncle, the grandfather? And uh, I don't even remember the names of the great-grandparents. 
But as my dad has become older, I'm starting to ask those questions. You know, my girls say, hey, dad, where does so-and-so fit in? I said, oh, I don't know, I should ask my dad. <laughs> right? But we try to work out where we fit, what's important here. And although it sounds tedious to, to read that, and every time you read your daily Bible reading, you quickly skim that, go to the next passage, don't you? Come on, own up. <laughs> and you get other passages in the Old Testament as well. Uh, they do a similar thing. I was reading one guy who said the other day, uh, he read some of the Old Testament genealogies. He turned up to church for the first time. And a, a friend, he wasn't a Christian, a friend invited him, but the friend got the wrong week. Instead of the evangelist, they got uh, some really boring preacher. Uh, and they had a genealogy. And his friend said, oh no, my friend will never come back to church again. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and then they died. Someone begat so-and-so, and then they died, and then they died. And his friend said afterwards, I have to think seriously about God. I said, what do you mean? That was a really, I thought you wouldn't enjoy the service. He said, I heard the word of God, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And I went, one day I too will die. And God spoke through the genealogy just warming you up so you can believe that God will speak to you this morning. <laughs> God can speak genealogies. And even in Western society today, you know, uh, becoming much more popular. I have a friend who he traces uh, their lineage and they, you can go to various companies that will trace where you came from and then you do your other genome sequences and you can find out that you're you're part Latvian and part South African and part something else, and you don't quite know who you are, and you trace back. People are, are quite into that. And I think really it's our, our identity is tied up with the question, where have I come from and who am I? Who am I really? Where do I fit? And so what do we learn? Some key things we learn from this genealogy. Number one, that Jesus Messiah is the son of Abraham and the son of David, verse 1. It's important to set the scene of who this Jesus is. And firstly, the son of Abraham, he is a true Jew. This is really important, he is a true Jew. And every Jewish person would trace the ancestry back to the patriarch Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham uh, to, to build his new nation, to bring blessing to all nations through Abraham, Genesis 12. And so it shows that he is a true Jew, he comes from that line, uh, he comes from Abraham. And but see, God made a, a covenant with Abraham, right? an agreement. And someone says, why did he choose the Jews amongst all people? Simply because God chose them. Right? Why didn't, someone says, why didn't he choose you know, the Chinese community? Why didn't he choose another nation? Uh, why Middle East? Why not the Greeks? Right? Why didn't the Messiah come through the Greeks? That would make sense to me. <laughs> or to the Romans, or whatever your culture is. No, God chose to have an agreement with Abraham, the Jewish nation, and through the Jewish nation, the Messiah would come into the world. And keep in mind that a covenant with Abraham was intended to bring blessings to all the nations of the earth. Now, the Jews often missed this. They, they kept the message to themselves, but God wanted to work through the Jewish nation, and then with the coming of Christ, spread the blessings everywhere. And today, we're experiencing those blessings. Secondly, I think it's ironic, in the providence of God... It would be the Gentiles, not the Jews, who would be the most obvious beneficiaries of Jesus' coming. Jesus comes as a Jew, as a son of Abraham, and then the Gentiles, the non-Jews, get saved. 
and the Greeks get saved and the Romans get saved. And now I look around in this congregation, we, we've got people, Filipino, Indonesian background, Greek background, Lebanese background, Chinese background, uh, um, English background, American background, and uh, a Singaporean, I'm looking around here, Indian and uh, Timorese. Uh, I'm, I can keep going, right? And we have come into God's people because Jesus came as a son of Abraham. He's also a king, though. He's the son of David, the Bible says. See, the prophet Isaiah foresaw that a son would be given, a son with the most extravagant titles in Isaiah 9. A wonderful counsel, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. You see, Jesus is a king, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah 9 verse 7. Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. And what, secondly, what happens in this genealogy, what Matthew is doing as he puts this genealogy together... He's showing the turning points in the history of Israel, significant, significant points. And it firstly places Jesus fully in line with the history of Old Testament Israel. One famous name after another reminds the reader that God is doing his work. From here, this person to this person to this person to this person until Jesus comes. God is doing his work. Secondly, Matthew divides history into three periods of time. Now, genealogies, they do a variety of things. They don't always have to have every name in the list. They use genealogies in different ways. But the way Matthew uses it is divided from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, and from the exile to the birth of Jesus. And he organizes them into uh, 14 generations, 14, 14, 14. He doesn't always include all of the people in that lineage. Genealogies don't always do that in the Bible and in the ancient Near East. You combine the ones you want to make your point, and what's his point here? He has a theological purpose in what he does. And the turning points are, David becomes king in 1000 BC, and the loss of that kingship at the Babylonian exile in 586 BC. It says these guys beforehand, these guys afterwards, these guys after that. It's interesting, why does he use the 14 here? Um, we are aware that the uh, numerical values of the Hebrew letters of the name of David add up to 14. D is 4, W is 6, D is 4. And maybe Matthew is using that number, which, which is the number of David's name in his genealogy here about the promised Messiah. Thirdly, by tracing Jesus' descent through the royal line of Judah, and that's the royal line, it stakes the claim to being the king of the Jews. Remember when they nailed him to a cross? King of the Jews. Fourthly, it establishes his status as a son of David by emphasizing King David's place in the genealogy. And Matthew wants to make it very clear, King David, this Jesus comes in that line. King David is significant and Jesus comes in that line. And fifthly, the mention of certain irregularities in the ancestry of the royal line of Judah serves to counter objections to the manner of Jesus' birth. Jesus is going to have a miraculous birth. It's going to be a virgin birth, a virgin conception. And he's going to show us that even in the Old Testament genealogy, there are some unusual characters in here. And God can work even through unusual ways to fulfill his purposes. Now, Joseph's line 
is the line of the legal right to the throne. Keep this in mind, okay? If he's going to be a king, he has to be in the line of Joseph. The line always comes from the father. And Jesus gained the legal right to the throne through Joseph. Even though Joseph had no part in his birth, he was the son of Joseph legally and therefore bore the right to reign as king in that line. Someone said, well, he's not really his, his son. How can he be a king in that line? When you're adopted into that family, you then enter that royal line. Finally, I want you to notice a sin-stained lineage for the Son of God. There are skeletons in the closet of Jesus' history. You know, a number of years ago, I was at a conference and the speaker was talking about how he looked up some old paper, family papers in his family. And he, they didn't, he didn't know this story. He said, I found something unexpected. His great-grandmother's marriage... Get this, his great-grandmother's marriage was dated the same day as his grandmother's birth. He said, oh, I never knew that. <laughs> A little, little uh, history in there. And you probably have skeletons in your closet. Family members, something has happened and it hasn't gone quite right and no one knew about it. Or someone who ended up in prison for five years and no one talks about it. Or, or someone who's done something else. Now, it's everywhere in Jesus' lineage. You figured, we would figure that if God was going to come into the world, everyone would be pure on the way through, right? No, no, it doesn't work like that. Because God takes sinful, broken people and he brings his grace and his mercy even in that situation. God enters the world through a sin-stained lineage. Abraham, David, Solomon, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. Let me just briefly comment on each of them. Because if you think these, all these Bible characters are all holy, think again. They're just like us, broken in need of a saviour. Abraham. Now, Abraham was the hero in the Old Testament, a man of faith. God did marvellous things, and Abraham trusted God, and God honoured that trust. But you know what he also did? He sinned. David lied about his own wife to protect her when he was in Egypt. He doubted the power of God. When God said, I'm going to bring descendants into your family, he didn't trust God. His wife was getting older. So he slept with his slave girl, Hagar, and had a baby. What type of faithful guy is this? And they produced Ishmael. And you will know that in Islam, Ishmael is the hero of the story. Because that's the line that they follow. So even that sin, you have, in a sense, the growth of Christianity and the growth of Islam. Two contrary religions and faiths. David, what about King David? Great King David! Man of faith, a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. Well, he married multiple wives and that didn't help him. And he was... Despite the multiple wives, he saw another woman when her husband was out to war, serving King David, fighting his battles. He saw her and he wanted her and he called for her. A woman, they call her the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, and she comes and he sleeps with her. And then he arranges to have her husband killed. Great guy, David, but he's in the line of, of the Messiah as well. Or take Solomon, David's son far worse. 
he married so many wives, they had so many concubines. Just careful what I say here, there's some young people here. People you sleep with for fun, really. And he ultimately ended up destroying and dividing the nation of Israel into two, following his reign. And yet, in one sense, the Bible says the wisest man who ever lived. Brilliant and a mess at the same time. Godly and then stuffed up everything else. And he's in the line of Jesus too. The God of the universe. There they are, Abraham, David and Solomon in the royal line. And then there are four women, four outcasts who are included in genealogy. Now genealogies don't normally mention the women. They just say, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. But these women get a mention. Why? First thing, Jesus cares for women <laughs> as well as men. But more than that, Jesus wants to show that even these lost, broken women can have a place in God's family and God's story. There's Tamar, Genesis 38. We hear about Tamar. So to Judah, there were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. In Genesis 38, Tamar prostituted herself and slept with her father-in-law, committing incest. Two boys were born from this act of harlotry and incest. And she's in the story, and so are the boys. And there's Rahab. You ever heard about Rahab the prostitute in, uh, in the Bible? To Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab. A man, Salmon, married a Canaanite woman, a pagan woman by the name of Rahab. She was a prostitute, we know, who ran a brothel in Jericho. In Joshua chapter 2, though, we realize that she has come to believe that Israel's God is the true God. And she hides the Jewish spies. And when the enemies come to take the Jewish spies, she lets them run away and she directs the armies to another direction and saves them. She identifies with God's people and is now a follower of God. She makes the story too. A former prostitute by profession is in a messianic line. And then there is Ruth. See, Ruth, a uh, beautiful story if you read the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. She was from uh, Moabite. And the Moabite people had come out of incest as a people. They were cursed by God in Genesis 19. So the whole people were cursed by God. They were enemies of God's people. And she was one of that group who married into God's people. She marries the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, you'll see in your Bible in Ruth, becomes a great-grandmother of King David. So God takes two prostitutes and a pagan, idolatrous, cursed Moabite and puts them into the messianic line. Jesus come. And finally, there is Bathsheba. And Jesse was born David the king, and to David was born Solomon by her, who had been the wife of Uriah. doesn't even mention her name. You know the one who had been the wife of Uriah? The one that David killed? She's in here too. What's it saying to us? God is gracious, friends, and stands in the midst of sinners. You know, a little bit later in Matthew's Gospel, just a few verses later, in verse 21, you are to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, in other words, just like all these sinners in the past, God is going to keep doing his work, forgiving sinners and restoring them to relationship with him. 
No sin is too big. No one's ever wandered too far from God that God will not forgive when they turn back. And friends, this Christmas, whether you're here on live stream, uh, maybe watching for the first time, whoever you are, whatever you've done, you're welcome home to God this Christmas. Because Jesus Christ died for all, for all of our sins. And in a few minutes, we're going to remember the Lord's death for us as we celebrate communion together, the Lord's Supper. Further, I think we need to notice that three out of the four women were Gentiles. The fourth was probably regarded as such because she had married a Hittite. Even here, yet the story of Gentiles in the family line of Jesus. And with the coming of Jesus, the message goes to the ends of the earth. And finally, uh, their inclusion may reveal something of the strange and unexpected workings of the providence, God's providence in preparation for the Messiah, and that as such they point to Mary's unexpected and providential conception of Jesus. God does unusual things, God works, and he's going to work again with Mary. Trust him. And Jesus brings good news to all. You know, people have said to me sometimes, oh, I can't come to church. If I come to church, the building will fall over. <laughs> and I said, have you ever read the genealogy of Jesus? If you think you're bad, you think you've messed up, just read the story. God takes sinners and forgives us and gives us a new life. Friends, there are people in prison today who love Jesus, go to Bible studies in prison. They messed up. They've been touched and saved by Jesus. Because God will take sinful, broken people. I was reading, let me uh, give you two stories of modern people who have come into the family of God. One of them was a lady called Linda Watson. And uh, I read her story a few years ago. It was just so inspirational. Because Linda um, was lured into prostitution. We're talking about three people involved in prostitution in the passage this morning. And at the, as an impoverished single mother, she said, I was involved as a prostitute for 20 years. And um, when I got out, I just realized how damaged I was and how much hurt I've caused to others. And she, she ran uh, the prostitution uh, area. She was a madam in it and therefore got other young girls involved in this type of lifestyle. And she said, I saw so much damage to so many people that when she got saved by Jesus, she set up the house of hope to help other girls come out from prostitution to find meaning and security and hope in Jesus Christ. And she talks about her story. She says this, she uh, was really close to Princess Diana, not personally, but emotionally. And uh, she said, I identified with Princess Diana. And, uh, and then I watched her suffer and being rejected and I identified with her. And then when I heard about her car accident, uh, I thought, oh, she'll be okay. She has the best doctors in the world. Surely they'll save Princess Diana, everyone's hero. And then she died. She said, I cried all day. Uh, with all her, if, God, if Diana, with all her beauty and wealth can die, what hope is there for me? What am I going to do when I drop dead? I said, I felt so full of guilt for what, the lifestyle I lived and the way in which I, I brought other girls into this lifestyle and damaged their lives. I mean, that's, she said, guilt upon guilt in my life. And one day I, said, I was by the pool in a house and I just called out to God for forgiveness, for a change of heart. For a new direction. He said, God touched my life. And I sensed a sense of relief and forgiveness, reconciliation with God. And then after that, she said, I chased up an old friend of mine uh, that I knew who was a Christian. I said, I always used to joke with her and make fun of her as the Christian who held her Bible. <laughs> so I knew who to go to. I knew there was someone who had a Bible. 
And she went to her and she spent time with her. And she said, it says, I was like the prodigal daughter who had learned about Jesus from my early days in a Baptist Sunday school. And I'd return home rejoicing in Jesus. God can transform anyone's life today. And then there is uh, Rosario. Rosario is a woman from Peru in South America. She was a terrorist, a brother of a woman who was an expert in several martial arts. In her terrorist activity, she had killed 12 policemen. And she had heard a little of the story of Jesus, and she was angry at the message about Jesus and Christianity. And she heard that the great South American evangelist, Louis Palau, was going to conduct a Christian meeting in Lima, in Peru. So she set out to kill him. So she turns up to this massive crusade with thousands and thousands of people looking for a way to kill the evangelist Louis Palau. So I made my way into the stadium when he was speaking. I was trying to work out how I could get close to him to take him out, to finish him off. But as I was in the crowd, I listened to what he said. I listened to his preaching. I listened to the message of love and forgiveness and purpose. And so I started to see in my own life my brokenness, my hatred, uh, my violence. And I didn't kill Louis Palau, but I met Jesus. I went to kill him, and I met Jesus and found new life forgiveness. Ten years later, Louis Palau had met Rosaria for the first time. In those years, since she had, she had assisted in planting five churches, and she had founded an orphanage that houses over a thousand children. Once an enemy... Someone who hated Jesus, now a servant of Christ. Friends, God from the Old Testament, you see it in his genealogy, in the New Testament, you read the rest of your Bibles. God is in the business of changing lives, giving us hope, meaning, forgiveness, and power, and, uh, and hope. It is my prayer that uh, as Jesus is the King of promise and grace, uh, he offers forgiveness in your life, that we would worship him this Christmas. And let me say, if you want to know more about him, talk to me after. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, we run courses. We can give you books to read. Have a read of that book that I mentioned earlier today. Pick it up. If you don't have $10, I'll give it to you. Don't worry about that. We want you to get to know Jesus. And you know where we discover all this stuff? In that genealogy. Next time you read it, read especially the names. And never forget the women who are listed in that story. God says the women matter to God. They're in my story, and I bring life and forgiveness to them as well as the men. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you, God, for your wonderful work through the Lord Jesus. And Lord, thank you for what comes out of a genealogy, the stories we, we read and the people we meet. And Lord, we thank you that by faith in Jesus Christ, we're now part of his story, part of his church. And we have dignity and forgiveness and reconciliation and meaning and purpose and hope. Lord, may many more people experience that same meaning and purpose this Christmas season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.